Well, I know that right now, like I'm living on Gambier and uh, thinking like, I mean, I, I, I've never been so far from skiing. Yeah. Now the resort is open more than ever. And then I just had a conversation with Keely about like, I'm like, oh, I think we got to go up to Whistler pretty soon. You know, but like we're going to be kind of, like, kind of sort of either couch surfing or making a deal with you have sure. a number of friends offering places so we'll, we'll pay something to make it you know offset costs and stuff and, and uh but because she's not going to get a pass she's not as fired up and but i'm like i i, I kind of got to be there it was opening day i wasn't there you know and then oh my god it's it's yeah. nuts and i can't wow. imagine doing what i do from like a from here, impossible. She's like, oh, yeah, maybe we should hang here. And I'm like, eh, nah, no, I can't do that. I can't just yeah. watch the forecast and rally. What's the, I mean, you got to take a boat across. I mean, what's the commute time, even just to get just this actual time from island to mainland? Well, it's like, oh. first of all, you got to get from wherever you are to the boat, right? Oh, right, Half okay. Half an hour there, right? You got to go down. You got to get the boats on an anchor. Yeah. I got to row out to the boat, get the boat back to the dock. You know, you're going to do some kind of garbage run, recycling, whatever. So you got to throw all of that stuff in the boat. Then you run the boat. It's a half an hour run. You get to the marina. You got to unload everything into the vehicle, you know, and then drive. It's like whatever it is, an hour and a half to Whistler, something like that, from West Van. Right. You know, yeah. It's just like, you know, and then living in Whistler, like for ever like since 86 so I'm, I'm just used to like i can strike right i I'm, I'm there you can strike so you know the night before what your next day is going to be like and then you organize i'm the kind of guy that before i go to bed my gloves and goggles and everything they're, they're all laid out you know yeah. and then i just yeah. grab and go the next because i don't like getting up early so i get up coffee grab my stuff and i'm out the door yeah right you know not like oh where the hell are my skins you know, or where's this, where's that? And yeah. That and okay. so not, yeah, I, out of here, it's a whole different story. I'm yeah. not even, I don't even know how that works. I don't know. Okay. I'm going to do one thing here. I'm going to introduce you first. Cause I'm going to use yeah. this stuff to begin with, but we're going to jump in here. So I'm going to do still so Eric Berger. Thanks for coming on my show. I'm really stoked to talk to you. It's really cool. We've been jamming a bit here, but I got to do an informal intro. So you'll know who you are. Yeah. Uh, people who don't know who you, who you are. Eric Berger's, I mean, one of the, most influential ski, snowboard and ski photographers that see the size, see the sky has seen in a while. Uh, originally from um, East Coast, Quebec, Montreal. Yeah, yeah, Montreal. Yeah, um, Quebec. Uh, and um, we've been talking. We've been you know, chatty friends for a long time, just through work stuff back in the day. And uh, yeah, no, I'm just stoked we get to do this and chat. Um, it's been a couple of weeks trying to line it up. I'm unorganized, and uh, you're on an island, so it kind of took we're, a time. We're very similar. Yeah, but thank you very much for the show. It's great. Oh, I'm very stoked, stoked buddy. Like, we used to yeah. work together, and it's been yeah. a long time. We haven't connected in a while, so very yeah, happy to, uh, to be and part so you, of this. You were just talking about um, how, to, how to mission from the island and kind of your, what you've done as a, what your, your normal routine is, right? And when you're two minutes from the hill, your routine changes, and then you go up to being a day's mission from the hill or the mountain, I guess. Well, do you want to give some context? Why am I on the island? Yeah, so I'll yeah, I'll tell them because out of that's out of the blue. Yeah, so and it's uh, not a normal me. Yeah, I don't know when it really happened, but um, you've had the you've I guess you have relatives or your your wife's uh, family's on the island on Gambier Island, um, 
And then you've got property there too as well. It's like an off-grid property, but you're slowly building it up with tiki bars. And you've been doing that for, I don't know how long. You have to film yeah, me on okay. that. So it's somewhat, yeah. So it's my wife, Keely, yep. uh, whose family has property on Gambia. Her grandparents bought here in the 50s. And her dad bought a property in West Bay on Gambier Island in 69. And Gambier Island, just for those who don't know, it's in the heart of Howe Sound between Vancouver and Squamish, if you will, and the Sunshine Coast. Mm. It's the southernmost fjord of the Salish Sea, and we're in the heart of it. And uh, Keely's dad bought the property in 69, and she and I met. In 87, been together since. You met here in Whistler? And in Whistler, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then uh, we started coming out, hanging out here, and then we got married in 2000. And in 2001, we ended up buying her dad's shares and eventually buying her his partners out and slowly been acquiring this property on the island in West Bay. And it's like this, yeah, it's kind of a... Uh, kind of a world away from what I'm used to living in Whistler. And uh, it's not off grid, it's on grid. Okay. Uh, but it is rustic and funky. It used to be an old logging camp. Okay. And uh, then became a summer camp for a church group. And then uh, that kind of went sideways. And Keeley's dad, the bank took it over. The Keeley's dad bought it from the bank and we bought it from him. And, and now we got this property here that we've been. Well, want to develop with no, you know, no funding because we have a house in Whistler as well. So, right, yeah, and so, but since you go over there in the off season a lot, um, you've been working on a place, and that's uh, right. Some of the days we couldn't talk because you're doing some handyman work, building your tiki bar and stuff, and getting the roof put on. But uh, so, but normally you'd come back here in the in the fall, or when right. early that's winter, right. right? Yeah, uh, you're traveling around with athletes and everything else, and wherever you got to go to, uh, and you had a, you know, you worked in Whistler a lot, but since this whole shutdown things happened, you guys went to the island and kind of just really no need to leave it and just it's been comfortable. You even had a chance to work on the place, I guess. And Yeah, so normally we spend the summers here yeah, and rent our, our, our home in Whistler for the summers, the last couple of years anyways, and then uh, and just have like a summer island time and invite friends over and it's, it's awesome. We have a great time and whatnot. And then but this year with COVID, uh, things have changed a little bit. So Keely usually takes the summer off from her job at the Red Door Bistro and, uh, and then normally goes back in the fall, but that has been scaled down. And so that job is not there for her right now. And then, uh, myself, I mean, I've been on contract with Whistler Blackcomb as a marketing photographer since 87. Oh, shit. Something like that. Like, yeah, like a year after I got there, 87 or 88, like quite a long time. Yeah. And uh, for the first time ever, uh, well, with what's going on and, sure. you know, just so much less business coming to the mountain, you know, Vale is on sort of like, uh, I'm going to guess, a sort of survival mode. So they've cut down a lot of budgets of things. And so the marketing budget is one thing that got cut. So my, my contract didn't get renewed this year. So both Keely and I are suddenly facing the winter of 2020 with, uh, you know, no income per se, no jobs in not, not our regular jobs anyway. So we yeah. decided to rent our house in Whistler. We have a house in Whistler. We decided to extend the rental for the winter and extend our time on the Island. 
So that's where we're at right now. And yeah. uh, it's, it's kind it's, of different. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you're, it is quite different because, I mean, I've been up the past couple of days. It hasn't been that busy. But even just the business-wise, the you know, travel restrictions, that kind of stuff. But, uh, I mean, you were – for the, I didn't realize it was that long, like 86. So you, you must have been just a young guy when you – like, you must have been – I was 23. 20. 23, 23 when, I, when I moved to Whistler. And then you got – wow. So then you got – 57 now. You, how long? 57? I'm 57 now. I think it's 67. I'm like, there's no way you're 67 years old. Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's – that's a lifetime of like, like I'm not a schedule, but a lifetime of like rolling into this, what's expected and what's the same every year kind of. Right. And I mean, I, it, it is interesting to see that the, like I, when I worked there, you know, the passes were a big thing. Getting a pass was like, everyone's like, where's my pass? And you'd have like, I slept like midnight trying to email out pass numbers, get people their pass and stuff, you know, 50, 50, 60. Right. Passes. Right. Yeah. 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 When you were giving them out. And, uh, but it's a sign of the, it's a change, and I guess, I guess one thing too, maybe talk about this is um, photography itself. I mean, maybe the needs have changed, or what people perceive as great photography becomes is more accessible, and people feel like it's there's it's like not as needed. I think I don't know how to explain it, but like I don't know why they don't keep as much emphasis on that. You know, they don't well, do the marketing. It's different than like and it's a lot of like not family. It's like family marketing now. It's different. Yeah, well, no, I mean, there's different things you can be touching base on a, on a bunch of different things. Depends what you're talking about. Photography in general, or you're talking about, like, the marketing department's uh, need for photography, right? Yeah, I think it's the marketing's need. Like, what, what their level of need is, are they doing as much? Is it a different, task, different direction? You know, you know what's interesting is that, like, Whistler Blackcomb, who has had an in-house marketing department for as long as I have been around, um, mm -hmm. It's, it's been an award-winning program, right? So they've been winning awards. They work with Origin Design. And then the combination of, like, the team of the marketing team, Origin Design, the photographers, guys like Paul Morrison, myself, Robin O'Neill, and uh, Blake Jorgensen, the rest, whatever, you know, have been working together for all these years and have knowledge of the resort, knowledge of the culture, you know, um, and probably, like... Uh, you know, um, a connection to what brought us. Certainly what brought me to Whistler, you yeah. know, is the big mountains coming out from back east to the big mountains. And then that's what I strive to try and capture when I take photos out on the mountain is to try and relay why I'm there. And it's like, like I'm not so interested in like, the, you know, necessarily the kids camp or the food program or the, I'm in interested in the big vistas and all that kind of stuff, whatever. But the marketing department has always allowed us to pursue what we do best and pushed us in those different directions, depending on what our skill level is at or skill set is at. And it has come back in a way that it has created really, really strong marketing program that's been award winning and, and whatnot. And, uh, mm. um, that that's now changed. Um, like over the last, like say five years of you doing this and not, uh, we're not trying to, always focus on Worcester Blackcomb, but it's what we know really yeah. well. It's kind of like what we relate to, but yeah. in the last few years of you doing this, what do you, like, have you, have, have you seen what, what the changes and what the need for photography is? Have you been asked to like do different things? Have they said, we don't need the, the vistas. They just need like, are they asking you to do more like, no, you know what? I've been really fortunate. My contract with Worcester Blackcomb has been like, it's, it, it's been as good as you could ever imagine. I was always told, 
just do what you do. Do yeah. what you want to do. Yeah. Because apparently what I was doing was always bringing them something they were looking for. Right. So I was, I was never really controlled in that kind of way. You know, I've never had to do any kind of control shoes. I just go out and do my thing. What's, so there's a ton of freedom there, mm -hmm, which is great. And then, you know, I've kind of like, I've been around long enough. I sort of seen the direction of it all. So I kind of know what works, what doesn't work yep. and try and, and steer what I'm doing with my athletes to meet those needs as mm -hmm. well as what the athletes want to be doing because often what the athletes want to do is different than what the mountain needs. So trying to strike a balance there. And then um, what's really been helpful is with all the years of being in Whistler, working with the mountain, working with the patrol, is the trust that's built, developed between the patrol and I, for instance. Right. Uh, and then, And working that to my advantage to sort of like have access to certain areas. The bi the biggest challenge with shooting on the mountain and trying to showcase it best, yeah. um, which always exists, but it doesn't exist for very long because everybody kind of goes out there and shreds it. But if you're on it, you can get out there and you could be the first one on the peak and you could be the first one down any bowl and be that person. And, you know, we obviously we try to showcase a bit of that. Um, but the only way to do it as a photographer is, you know, close relationships with the patrol, with operations, uh, you know, certain access and whatnot. So I think that's something that we've I've developed over the years with, with Paul and I and, and, and the team. Yeah, I think that's one thing is like, you know, you have, we have resort marketing. And <clears throat> I noticed too, like even just, excuse me, <clears throat> as like a creative sometimes. Uh, the best is to let the creative just do what they want. If you're a writer, let them write. If you're a photographer, let them shoot. You know, <clears throat> obviously they need certain things to be banged out and get. You know, we need a shot of people on groomers. I mean, I've skewed with you a couple times. Sure. Um, but for the most part, when you try to direct them too much, it just becomes phony and just kind of comes off as, as kind of not legitimate. Um, and then if you've got that connection, <clears throat> I got frog in my throat here. I I felt like when I worked with you, I'd be like, it's easier for you to just let you talk to patrol than me to try to organize it because it's just another you know loss in communication or whatever it was, but. I think there's that that idea that you know people want it. There was a time where people wanted to get their hands in everything, and it just kind of actually that just meant you handcuff the the creative people. And so, do you think there's like in the time? Do you think that as you work, do you do do you do commercial shoots and stuff? Do you do like really like strictly like storyboarded commercial shoots, or because you've been an editorial photographer? I know you've been like done like stuff for some kind of yeah. somewhere and everything else, but like there's. You're mostly editorial, right? So you have that freedom. Yeah. I, I mean, not as much as I used to. So I used to be a senior photographer for Transworld Snowboarding. Yeah, right. Magazine, I was, I was for 10 years. And in those years, I did a lot of commercial stuff right. uh, with different brands and whatnot. But nothing I've ever done ever in my career was storyboarded. It was always like, you know, even if it was a commercial shoot for K2 or, or whoever, mm -hmm. um, you know, we'd either, you know, be somewhere where there's, you know, be at a resort or somewhere and, and then just do what, what comes naturally. You know, you're a team, you know, you're, and uh, here's what we're going to do. I mean, I, w I might have a bit of a say in like, hey, I think we should do this, we should do that, and then let's go. And then obviously, as a photographer, I got to see things in order to capture them. If I don't see the shot, it's hard for me to make it happen. 
And then I've had a few things where we've done stuff like I remember, like I did a lot. I was a I was a senior photographer for K2's marketing, K2 snowboarding's marketing for a bunch of years, and we did some stuff in Seattle that was non-snow related, but we would just kind of wing it, you know, like just kind of like we have you know Sean Farmer, Parada, uh, Tex, Davenport, those guys, and we grab the the K2 Lincoln, the the vintage Lincoln, and drive around and. And then just go find some funky places to do just weird sort of like lifestyle-y kind of stuff. And then they'd find a way to make it work. But it's always been pretty loose. Yeah, that's, that's what like the industry seems to be always. That's how it got its ground. I mean, like, seems like, you know, things are too polished. I mean, like I said, you trust the photographer, trust the artist, trust the athletes. But if we get too polished, you don't get that f- magic or fire that you guys will pull off just getting in that Lincoln and driving around. Because that's what the heart of skiing was and should still be, kind of is, but everything's trying to be so polished now where it's like, you know, you wouldn't, there was a, when they brought in Deep Winter, say that contest in Whistler um, yeah. to celebrate the storm season. Well, that was a contest to celebrate storm season, but everything in marketing was always about sunny days and everything else, and Whistler Blackcomb was never like that way. And so if you think of like other, that's, so that was kind of like planned marketing, right? Where if you're just, you know, I think back then, and not even back then, it wasn't that long ago, but. That freedom and that expression of, of just artistry, whatever you want to call it, in skiing, yeah. snowboarding, um, I, I kind of default to skiing, but that's what made its foundation. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you um, a good analogy that, that kind of puts it in perspective too, right? Is that, you know, your marketing department or your whatever you want to hire a photographer, like I was, a D, I, I did some DJing for a bunch of years and was there one, right? So, yeah. awesome. See you and, um, you know, I used to, when I was younger, I used to, I remember used to go and go to the clubs and I was always asking requests and, and stuff, you know, but I'd, I'd be on the dance floor and having a good time. But then I became a DJ and then I realized the last thing you want to have when you're DJing is constant requests because you go in there and you're doing a, a set and you have a kind of a vibe in mind. And then if you start to play to someone else's request, you kind of lose your direction and you could get really messed up and if you're a you know uh, a venue operator or or you're having a wedding like you hire a dj because you like their style of music and then what you should do is just let them play that that thing they know what they do it's what they do and go with it you might be able you might want to put a little bit of in, input prior to the gig but once the gig's underway just let that person play and it's the same thing with photography you want to start controlling too much stuff you're going to lose what that photographer is bringing to the table from their own creative like you know we're creatives you know so you don't want to kind of stifle that too much you got to select someone that has kind of a vision that's in line with what you're trying to create maybe from the get-go that's that's how i see it from my side of the yeah uh, i think when you're trying to watch stories unfold like when you're like we're trying to like when you make a movie or something like that, you're you're trying to watch, you're trying to like make a script work or make a or a television you make a script work. But skiing isn't scripted, and these things aren't scripted. So you're trying to just let that person just take to shoot whatever's happening in the action because that's what the actual truth of it is. Uh, other than say, hey, turn here or throw a snowball to find that spot, but you're not trying to like direct things. Um, do you think that there's so many photographers going on now, so much happening that there's like less there's less ways to. Um, be original in skiing as far as photography goes? There must be, right? Like, I don't know. I mean, it seems like the, there's no. this, a lot of true shots where that, you know, that turn, the pole still counts, but um, 
I just do you find that you're just seeing a lot of things over and over again anymore? It's hard to be creative. Well, least- no, I, I mean, I, I I see that like there's really talented photographers in that pool that are bringing stuff that stand out to you and might inspire you to kind of like, oh, I got to push myself a little bit more and trying to get more of that moody stuff or trying to get more of the scenic stuffs and or whatever. So there's that aspect. You can get inspired by what's going on. And then, I mean, for me personally, when I go out there, I really let, I, I let the mountains, the light, the terrain, all of that speaks to me. I don't go in, pardon me, um, having something very specific right. in mind. I right. never know what I'm going to do when I go out there. I go out and, uh, and then I'm, you know, Ideally, it's great when I work with athletes who've got a bit of experience, and then we can kind of sort of see things mm. together. We don't try to force it. You try to force something and make something happen, it's, it's a, it can be a real struggle to make it happen. But if you go and then you see something happening, the light, the terrain, whatever, and if I see it and the athlete sees it, then all of a sudden we're really setting ourselves up for success, and then there's a better chance of us capturing something that's a bit special. But, you yeah. know, and I'm sure it's the same with you. Like, you know, you might go up the ski hill and you, you might have an idea of what you want to ski, but you don't necessarily know. All of a sudden this chair opens, that chair opens, your whole plan changes. And now you're improvising. We're constantly improvising, even just free skiing without a camera, right? Yeah. It's the same thing when you're taking photos, you're just improvising and what's happening, where you are, what you, the more you go with the flow, I find the less you're battling and the more productive you become. That makes sense. And also probably the more, the more like triumphant you feel after, because it was more like, Hey, we just, we just nailed that. And it was like kind of out of the blue. We just kind of saw the corner of our, Hey, that light's hitting that corner. It's perfectly. If you get there yeah. now. Yeah. It amazing. came out of our, out of our own creativity and seeing it and, and reacting to it. Yeah. You, so, I mean, talking about and this. That, that was always yeah. the way and remains the way. It doesn't matter how many people are shooting out there, you know, I can just go out and do what I do. Now, one thing that makes a difference is consistency. If you, if you can be consistent and in, in producing good results, that's a positive. If you have good relationships with the people with whom you work, they're going to want, want to work with you more. You know, those things matter a lot. Well, you also like, I've, I've gone a few, few times. You're like, yeah, I know the spots. So the longer you spend in an area, <clears throat> like, especially with Sir Black on for you, I mean, I can't, that's like, you know, you're, you're like, yeah, I know if we go over here at 10 o'clock in the morning in February, it's probably going to look like this. Snow will be different, maybe a different snowpack, maybe wind hit differently or whatever. It's probably going to look like this. And if it's skied out, I know if we can go around the corner here, it's good. So, I mean, if you're working, so in that respect, it's almost orchestrated, but it's only over a year of consuming or um, like, um, yeah, I guess, uh, like compiling just the knowledge of the, of the area um, where it's less Less by chance, but it's always by chance. But at least you know if at certain times, you know where the mountains are, where the light hits what. So you can go there and kind of say, yeah. hey, I, have, I could probably nail something here right now if I get it. Um, yeah. I, yeah. And I, I th- that's, that's like the, for a resort, I mean, that's where efficiency comes in, where they don't have to guide you. They know if, you, if we send Burger, he's going to be like, go out and come back. with it hasn't snowed in three days. We know he's going to come back with some fresh pal shots because he knows where to go and get these things done, right? And so I, I yeah. don't know what, or what like... Um, when you're in a brand new zone, like I know skiers look at like, 
they look at photos, they get in a helicopter or a plane, they fly around, take photos of the landscape and stuff. And I mean, are you, on those trips, you're with them and saying, yeah, we should look at that. Are you providing input on those, that kind of stuff too? Or are you just like, Oh yeah, back? definitely. Definitely. So, you know, just stepping back to what you're sure. saying about the resort for sure with the resort, because I shoot on the resort so, so much and the resort is such a challenge with all the traffic and whatnot you kind of build some strategies and you kind of know at different times of year where the sun's going to be. And you might have some idea of where you're going to, where to be. And then when you're there, you're still improvising with what is happening, tracks and snow and conditions, all that kind of stuff. When I go to places I've never been, you know, sometimes being at a place, like I shoot at Whistler Blackcomb all the time and I know that it can become a trap, right? <clears throat> you, you fall back on the, Oh, I, this is a go-to shot that I know is going to work. And you end up shooting the same shot every year, different athlete, different outfit, different light, but same kind of thing. And you go somewhere you've never been and suddenly you're seeing it in a whole new light. And if you've been in the mountains enough that you kind of have an idea of, you know, where to look just a little bit beyond the boundary or, you know, the aspect for the time of day or whatever, you can still go out and find things and you might find shots that, that the local doesn't find. I mean, I still see, I see shots of Whistler Blackcomb that other people take and I go, where the heck is that? I have no idea. I've been here for like, you know, 30 plus years. I've yeah. never seen that shot. Um, or that angle, a new take on the angle with a combination of the lens and where they're standing or whatever. I mean, there's so many variables. Like he's just, just the last second, you mentioned the lenses and angles and stuff. But there's also like, the, if we talked about people asking for stuff, like as a marketing department, no matter what resort you have, if that, like the, the tusk, you know, it's like, hey, we need a tusk photo this year for the headlight. You know, it's like there are yeah. some of those nailed off shots and stuff. But um, yeah, I, I kind of want to move away a bit from the, like talking about Whistler so much because I know it's like we could, we could talk about it forever and we're both going to yeah. enjoy it. I'm curious too, like shooting for so long. Um, do you like? Do you walk around with a camera in your hand during the day? Like, are you like people kind of keep their skills going? Do you like? Oh, sure, yeah, okay, right. Okay. We all do. <laughs> yeah, I should have probably. It's changed. crazy though how this yeah. has changed things. You do know? you use like? Are you? Is that a tool for you now? As far as like, is that something you'd use? Well, just it is for social media. Sure. It is for social media. But as far as a camera goes, is a phone even a thought of yours? As far as like. I mean, it's not really, right? No, no, no. Although I just sold a shot to BC Ferries that I happened to take with my phone of a ferry going by from the West Bay dock. Right. And, uh, but no, it, I still, when it, when it comes time to, to doing, you know, the commercial work that I do, the, the work where I want to have, you know, high quality images on file, I work with uh, digital SLRs. Right. Or, or, well, I got a digital SLR, my, uh, my Nikon, and I also work with uh, an Olympus, um, you know, like a non-mirrored non camera or whatever, like a smaller little setup. Uh, but they're both like high-res, sure. you know, cameras. Now, do I walk around with them all the time? I'm not that guy. No, right. No. I, I go... I looking for a photo. That'd be as, cool. a matter, as a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, I've been thinking now that I'm here on Gambier for an extended period of time, and I've been thinking, oh, what I want to do is trying to start capturing these, like, because there's epic panoramic views around here all the time. When I'm out on my boat, mm -hmm. and, I, and, I, and I go, I, gotta, I want to do a series of these panoramics. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, I got to carry my good gear to get those shots and stitch them together and build those shots. And I, 
and I always forget to bring my my gear. I I don't really think about it unless I'm thinking, unless I know I'm going out on a mission. Then right. I well, it's hard. I mean, if you're just going out to take your boat somewhere, do something to bring all the gear just in case. If you want to have the right, I mean, I don't. I'm not a photographer. I mean, I have cameras, and I you know they've got more dust than photos on them. But um, there's it just seems like around. yeah, for sure. But uh, I mean, I, I guess at some point. <clears throat> Like, are you like gonna go? Like, okay, this might sound dumb, but if you're gonna go to shoot something, I'm like, and if you're not shooting all the time, but you got to go warm up, and like, I gotta go take some few shots, and just like, are you can, can you get off the couch and go bang, and you've been doing it for so long, you're like, I got this, or if it's like, are you out there just like still tinkering and everything else, or I mean, I don't want to blow any secrets. No, move on if you need to, but no. Uh, as a matter of fact, so during the summer, I don't carry my big gear around as much. You know, right. I'm more focused on on I, I do shoot with my gear uh, I, I do some paddleboard stuff and some with the van uh you know lifestyle different things or whatever occasionally but not a lot whereas in the winter i shoot a lot and what i find typically is at the beginning of the season when i start shooting i really got to concentrate because there's just so many things to think about you know First of all, so many variables in the settings of the camera and then composition and timing and communication and all that kind of stuff. And I don't want to say that I miss shots at, at the beginning of the season, but I'm definitely a bit more vulnerable and I do have to be on my game. Whereas I, if I compare that compared to the end of the season after I've been shooting all season, like I'm so fluid by the time the spring comes around, you know, I'm like everything's happened. I don't even have to think it, but I yeah. do have to think. In the, in, in the fall and this time of year when I first start get going I gotta be sure you, you hit your rhythm and your rhythm just carries you like I mean everyone's got the stumbling block the first day of skiing your legs are beat or whatever yeah, that kind of stuff exactly. happens but um, it must be one of the things that comes back pretty quick do you ever think uh, like oh I need to like see something cool and you're like I want to I'm gonna go get that filter or that thing just so I can try that like experiment more um but I guess if you're if you're working all the time, it's experiments can't just you got to make sure you get what you need from that from that shooting. So experimenting must be a bit of more of like a labor of love on the outside of the regular work, right? Yeah, it, it is. I mean, for me, I just keep it real simple. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it works. I keep it real simple. I just go out and I work with what's there. I have dabbled with filters in the past and whatnot, and. Uh, I've done a bit of stuff with lighting, but like I'm not into c carrying a bunch of lighting with me out into the field in the environments that I shoot. Like it just to me, it's it, it, it it's like dragging an anchor. Like I don't know. Like, but I have a lot of respect for what other people are doing with artificial lighting in the backcountry and what's possible and whatnot. It's just. You know, and I've struggled with it a lot. Like, oh, do I, should I be getting, you know, should I tr be trying to keep up? Should I be trying to do this? Um, but, you know, I, I, I've just chosen to kind of keep it simple. Like my forte, I work with what's there. Yeah. I work with the light that's there. I work with the conditions that are there and with the people that I'm with. And I just try to make something happen within that. And I try to get creative with my lenses, my angles, mm. the light and shadow and all that kind of stuff. But you know, it's it's kind of like my whole life is like that. I try to keep things fairly simple. You know. Well, it's it's worked. <clears throat> Clearly, it's working. So it's worth it's worth it. Um, 
I mean, I don't know. I just feel like if I was <clears throat> by the water of town or like, as you know, if, if you spend more time by the water, maybe, you know, maybe this year is a bit of a transition, different year, you know, it's going to let you look at what you really do want to do. And, um, I mean, I, I would start to be drawn by things I'm around more often. So if like, if you take your break from summertime, you break, take your break on during the summertime and you don't shoot much and then you come back to skiing refreshed and ready to go and stoked on it. Um, I would find myself maybe drifting towards like, maybe I need an underwater lens or like an underwater you know, thing or just go and yeah. like, I don't, I, I don't know how close you are to the water. So I'm thinking maybe I just, I'm just assuming you're like on the coast. I don't know what Gambier is like much. So, but yeah, um, you know what, when I come here, it becomes about something else. Okay. Cool. It becomes about something like the big picture, the majority of the picture that I live in the summer when I'm on this Island, it becomes not so much about photography and it becomes more about this property that I have with Keeley and where we want to go with it. So we want to get into this retreat business. Okay. So we got a pretty cool, like we got a seven acre property on Gambier Island. Like I said before, Gambier is in house sound, yeah. uh, right between Vancouver and Squamish. And, um, we got this family property that we purchased seven acres and it's fairly rustic and we've got sort of a glamping setup. So I've got yurts and canvas tents and it's like, so an old logging camp and I built a tiki bar and so on and so forth. And for, I don't know, like, uh, 20 years now we've been hosting friends there cool. and having a great time. Everyone has a great time, but everyone's always there for free, just friends. Right. And we thought now it's been more, it's been a sort of a dream Achilles to try to get this, uh, some sort of uh, retreat thing going on. And I've been wanting to be supportive and, uh, I, I see an opportunity. So, um, we've been sort of dabbling with, with that more. And so while I'm here, it's, 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 it's a lot about that to make that happen. There's so much work involved starting from nothing and with no budget, it's all hands on. So I got to be here doing that. I can't be somewhere else doing other Right. On the projects. I leave myself open for photo projects during the summer, but you know, I don't, charge after it maybe as much as i could or as other people might and so when things come along i take them on and when yep. they're not there i don't stress about it i'm focusing on this other thing which is kind of like where i'm seeing myself going you know in the future is running this retreat with keely in the summer as our summer gig it's pretty cool because i mean you've been here for so long you've probably been building this thing and you've learn how to like dial in the life there and how to, how it works and you know, what you need and where, you know, where the, if we do this here, it's going to make this more of a better setting for people here visiting. And you've had the time to have friends come and visit and just kind of like be able to work out the kinks over as like a, as like a thing to do, you know, just like a pastime and a passion. That's um, just something you want to do all the time. And it seems cool that you've, you're looking towards a future of making um, a bit of a business or whatever you want to call it, retreat out of it. Without just walking in there, buying the plot and building it, see, let's do this. You've been able to, work that land and see how it's going to work. Okay. If we do this and like, yeah, well, what, what's happened is we've had like, whatever it is, 15, 20 years of experiencing it from ourselves longer for Keely, mm -hmm. right? She's been going there since she was born. Mm -hmm. She grew up there and I kind of stepped in and we've been creating our own experience there and developing our own experience and then sharing it with our friends. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it's been a really positive thing and it's been really 
uh, a very natural growth, you know, having no budget to just, like you say, just throw a whole bunch at it and all of a sudden, boom, it's done. We've been doing it by hand slowly and it's sort of come its way. And then um, now we're like at a point where we have this experience and we're ready to share it. You know, we got this right. place that's like unorthodox, kind of funky, <laughs> yeah, rustic. It happens to be that that's a bit of a demand these days with what people yeah, for are looking sure. for, something that's like out of the ordinary. Yeah. Uh, it's close to Vancouver. It's easy to get to. And when you get here, uh, there's all sorts of opportunities of different things to do. Mm. And we got this sort of like not non-traditional setting, but everything is there that you need. Hot mm. water, comfort, whatever. And we're here. We're yeah. in the background and we're there and we're just like there to help support, answer questions, make sure people have what they need, you know, and trouble shoot or whatever. Sure. Um, and so this summer was the first summer that we actually kind of started doing it, doing some Airbnb and we're collaborating oh. with, with, uh, with uh, a friend of ours that's a, a, a paddleboard um, uh, outfitter. Norm yeah. Hand Expedition. Oh, yeah. I've heard it before, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 awesome. Sure. Uh, amazing guy. Yeah. And uh, did, so did that, that paddle mission up along the... Oh, my God. Like that. Yeah, all right. Anyway, sorry. I don't want to... He, does, he does incredible stuff. Yeah, no, yeah. he did right. a thing this summer where he left from West Vancouver, went all the way up the Sunshine Coast, across the Vancouver Island, back down to back Victoria, all by paddleboard with one of his guests. Shit. Wow. You know, and then, okay. but he does stuff on the, in the Great Bear, Bear Rainforest and Haida Gwaii in uh, Belize in the winter. And then he's looking for, he was looking for something around closer to Vancouver and he's paired up with us. Oh, so we worked with him. We've been doing some Airbnb and this was our summer to test the waters to see A, if people who are paying for an experience on our property are having a good time and B, if are we having a good time hosting them? You know, yeah, that's the thing you can get over that fast. Like I'm out. Well, Sorry. You do all this work. Yeah, for it could be like, all, it's, it's our own private property. And now we got like all sorts of like, you know, who knows what kind of people you're going to get. Yeah. And this doesn't align with us. And we're not now not having fun. We're just babysitting the whole time. But, um, as it turned out, it was great on both sides. People who came had a great time. And cause we were worried, like, okay, our friends who come and stay for free though, well, they're having a great time. Sure. You know, they're bringing, you know, they're contributing, everyone's contributing, but no one's having to pay. If you're paying X amount of dollars per night, is there a problem for you that you're using an outhouse or that you're sleeping in a tent and not a cabin or whatever? So, but the, the result was that the people that came, it surpassed their expectations. Right. Everyone had a great time. And then Keely and I had a great time sharing it with them, you know, and we kind of keep. We do a balance of being involved, but also stepping back and letting them curate their own experience without too much control from our end. It is pretty cool that you can watch that experience and watch your friends come and see what people expect. Because that thing about paying, I never, I mean, I thought about it, but I never really, I mean, I never really put too much thought into it. That <coughs> someone, someone comes to pay for it. Even if you say this is a, this is a, you know, whatever, like a limp, like not an off grade, but like it's got outhouses. Even yeah, if you, you say You manage that, expectations. There's outhouses. Yeah. There's like, it's rustic. It's this, that, whatever. I think people who are willing to use an outhouse probably aren't going to be throwing beer cans in the forest and just like not. <laughs> they're going to be like trying their best to just enjoy it. And I mean, it's probably just going to inherently pull people in that are already kind of okay with what it is. 
just by just by design. I mean, I can't. I mean, it's there are people looking at there for they kind of think they want something they don't want it. Like happy that they're staying. Like I didn't. This is not what I wanted. But it's cool that you guys are there and you got story to tell. And people, I think when somebody knows you've been there building this place your whole life and they come in, they know that story as a guest. It's probably easier for them to appreciate that than to say, yeah, we built this last year. We sure. got this. Yeah, I don't know. People come and then they get told, like, you know, Keely's been there 50 years, you know, like it's a family. Yeah. Uh, this, you're, 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 being, you're invited now onto this family heritage experience. Yeah. Do you and, guys have, uh, like, do you guys grow your own food? Do you have gardening and stuff going on there? Do you guys yeah. have, like, oh, tons. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Keely has a huge garden that she grows yeah. all sorts of veggies and herbs and, you know, berries and stuff. So at different times of the year, you harvest different um, sure. products out of, the, uh, out of the garden. And mm -hmm. then I go out and I harvest uh, prawns, uh, BC spot prawns That's and good, yeah. crab. Sometimes, occasionally, we go fishing. I don't do any salmon fishing just because I don't have the time to put in. I'm always just so busy with this. But once, once in a while, I'll go jig for some rockfish and whatever. But mostly, it's prawns and crab yeah. in the garden. And then, so we, you know, we'll do these meals where we collab. Sometimes we have meals where everything is from us, except maybe the butter and the alcohol. Right. Gotta make some moonshine out there, man. Get some corn mash. Well, you know, the Kinney's grandfather used to make blackberry wine here. Oh, really? Dude, uh, there's still stuff in the basement down here. So, like, there's tons of blackberries here. Yeah. And so they used to, her grandparents used to pick blackberries. Her grandfather made a blackberry wine. And then he used to set a roadblock across the road, right? In, like, at the, I'm in the cabin right now, the grandparents' cabin. And he used to set a roadblock right across the road here, the main dock is right down here, and he would sit with a buddy of his, and they would stop. Anybody who tried to go through had to come to the deck and have a glass of blackberry wine with everybody oh, and socialize gonna... before they could go through. That's, I thought you were going to say something else, like stop them from you taking the blackberries, but that's an incredible turn of what I thought I was going to hear, to say come by and drink the wine, because that's, that's what shit's about. That's why, like, that's what skiing's about it's what things are about like you just enjoy it with friends it's like hey these are the fruits of my labor and i want you to enjoy and bringing, and bringing people into your into your bubble into your experience yeah. into what you've got going on you know it's right now we're trying to keep everybody out of our bubble back then you used to invite people into your bubble <laughs> i was just gonna say that's such a such a and it's cool to see like I, I mean that's such a contrast i was thinking the same thing is like Right now, we like I, I live alone. I live solo, so I'm trying to make sure I can still have a friends and everything else. And I can't. The bubble's weird because my family's not in this town. But if I go see them, it makes their bubble weird. And um, I have to have a social life at some level, so I have to talk to people. So, but if you're on this island, I mean, it could be just been like, you know, um, you're on a in a spot. I'd be back then. Maybe there was a lot of people there. Be like, hey, come on in. Like, I want to enjoy your company too. And by doing that, I'm going to give you a glass of wine so that you can enjoy my company. I feel like you need to show up. You know, I, I shoot, shoot, you know, I talk to your ear yeah. off for two hours. But um, you probably make tons of friends that way and connections. And you meet people from wherever, I'm sure, if they're strangers, right? It's easy to do, you know, especially if you have, like, if you have your own tiki bar, it helps. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, easier I mean, there's, like, you know, here there's, like, always a big social scene at the docks and, and whatnot. So right now, with what's going on, Keely and I are fully isolated so we're here we have friends on the island and we're we're not seeing she's got one friend who's single mm -hmm. and so she goes and uh walks he's got a dog she walks a dog with him it's part of her exercise for just you know mental stimulation getting out of the house does a daily thing 
But we have friends that we want to hang out with right now, but we're trying to make a point of just kind of waiting until we're good to go. Mm. Uh, because it would sure make uh, things funner here. We're, it's a bit of ground. <laughs> it's a yeah. bit of ground. Groundhog Day in the cabin here, you know. I bet, man. We get the up. Fire's going out, by the way. Oh yeah, I'm gonna have to go stir it up. We uh, we uh, I'm gonna have to get another beer too. So we're gonna take a pause in a moment. But yeah, I get up. I'm on the computer. I do my my social media. I do a little bit of editing or whatever I gotta do. Then I go and work on the tiki bar or whatever projects I gotta do. I come back in the evening. We make a dinner, watch a little Netflix, and chill. I pass out. Last night by 9:30 p.m., I was like done. I'm like, oh my god. What's going on? I think it's part of the, you know, this time of year, the days are so short, but yeah, it's, it's, it's good kind to of, feel like, it's good to feel exhausted. I've been doing this too. Like I've been trying to feel a little cleaner and just exercise and do things. And <clears throat> it's good to feel tired at the end of the day from something you did that you feel like was productive. And if it's work on your tiki bar, build something like that and you go to sleep, you don't, you go to sleep well and you've been, yeah, even though we didn't see people, you're like, I worked on something. You have that like energy has yeah. been used because you're building something up. You know, not yeah, yeah. even if it's just a little bit every day. Plus for yeah. me right now, because of the fact that I can't be in my home in Whistler and I'm in this cabin. So we're in a cabin. Uh, How many square feet is it like? Uh, it's like a big, I mean, it's, it's got to be like, I don't know, maybe close, close to a thousand square okay. feet, 900, right. something not like bad. that. Because yeah. there's a shed out back that's, okay. you know, but the main cabin, maybe, uh, Eight or eight hundred, I'd say eight hundred square feet. The main cabin. It's pretty small, but it's big enough. Um, yeah, it's the, it's Keeley's grandparents' cabin, but her un, her they died. You know, they okay. passed away. So her uncle now owns it, and yeah. you know he's letting us stay here. It's only costing us, you know, hydro. So it's sure. it's it's cheap, and it's like so. We you got to be grateful that we have this little out while we try to navigate this uncertain situation right. which will eventually pass yeah but at the same time it's kind of make me realize like i've never been here this long and i i've gotten so much done by being here but normally i'd be in our van right you know road tripping in california yeah we could talk about the van i'm gonna get my yeah, how about i get my fire going yeah sure i'm gonna i'm gonna beer. fill up my i'm gonna get some more baileys for my coffee and then okay, we'll get back so in let's, two take minutes a, let's take a break yeah i'm trying to keep it running though so we don't have to try to connect yeah yeah Boom, good timing Hey, welcome back. Yeah, big break. <laughs> fire looks good, man. Looks like you got a... Got the fire going again. I got a nice... I want to give these guys a little love. Faculty Brewing out of Vancouver. Heard of these guys? No. Oh, my God. They make such good beer. Are they... So, Smiley was telling me that he lives in the east end of town, like commercial and van, whatever, and he said there's... there's yeah, this oh. is... I, I haven't been to the brewery yet, but I think it's roughly in that area. Uh, <laughs> The, these guys came to our our camp this summer. Oh, cool! Um, as part of a group, I met the guy and and then he sent me some beers. And I find a lot of times microbrewery beers are super hoppy, and it's not really my style. And yeah. this guy's stuff has got an awesome balance. Cool. So this is the blonde ale. Nice. Well, cheers, man. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah. Here's the mugs and beer. I haven't had Bailey's in so long, I forgot how wintry Bailey's. It's good. So you went from Kahlua to Bailey's? Yeah, I used to. I put the last of my Kahlua in there. Um, uh, so funny. And, and Kahlua is so old school. I had Kahlua in my liquor cabinet, and I, I don't know. I had it forever. I, did, I, I, 
I tried to use it and it, and it wasn't working for me. It's it's not the same. I'm, no. I'm a Bailey's kind of guy, I think. There's like that St. There's that St. Catharines or some kind of other kind of Bailey's. No, but you know not, what? There's one that I've been drinking. It's I yeah. think it's called Blarney's or something like that. Yeah, right. And it's it's not expensive. It's like twenty bucks for twenty six, nineteen dollars for twenty six ounces. I yeah. gotta say, pretty good. Pretty damn good. And if it's not good, just add a little more. <laughs> well, that's like anything. What's it called again? I don't what, know. Here, I'm gonna do a plug. Yeah, I'm sure, man. Because you want to know, it's a good deal. I want to try it. <laughs> Eric Berger, everybody. That's a legend. The cool thing is you can just watch what he's doing. Hold on. Let me yeah. get my... Yeah, you know what? We're on the island here, and it's all about cheap and cheerful, because I go through a yeah. lot of boots here. So <laughs> I got to kind of... Gotta, it's, it's this stuff here. You got to, like, put, like put, pull it away, but yeah. Uh, Blarney's, okay, right. Okay. Blarney. Right? Yeah. $19 for a 26 ouncer when oh, it's nice. on regular price, and then it often goes on sale. So that's you my. Gotta, you got to go to the mainland for that? There's no. No, it's all, all over the place. No, but do you, oh, do you get... yeah, yeah, there's nothing here. There's, there used to be a store just actually right next door to where I am right here. Yeah. And uh, Keely and I actually almost bought the store like, I don't know, 20 years ago. Yeah. A lot of people thought. Said it was a bad idea. We ended up not making being able to make the deal work. We were just a yeah. little bit off on the financing. Yeah. We're like, you know, our offer didn't get accepted. Basically, sure. yeah, probably a, a blessing in hindsight because it allowed us to put us, our energy into the property that we have. Sure. <clears throat> and then it's been purchased. It's gone. It's turned over hands a couple times since, but in recent years, it's been closed. So it's a bit of a drag because there used to be a little store here that you could go buy some supplies, not liquor. You could have a drink if you had lunch there but you couldn't yeah. buy liquor right. but you could buy supplies and now there's there's nothing here so any supplies you need you have to go off island and um yeah so speaking of going off island um you're talking about your van before we before we did the booze break and the fire break so, the van. Can, so eric's got this like i don't know what yours like probably 80s maybe early 90s westphalia 80. van 88 1989 volkswagen westphalia yeah, and uh, did you get it as a piece of junk and you fixed it up, or did you buy it semi-good and you did some work to it? Or I bought it, we bought it semi-good for sure. Yeah, yeah. they're it not cheap, eh? No, it was not cheap. I mean, it's a California van, so it was in good shape with no rust. So typically, yeah. those you know they're thirty plus years old, right? So they can be a big problem with not only rust, but then the entire system. The front Volks to back, like everything from the fuel tank, the fuel lines, the cooling systems, electricals, everything. Yeah. So ours was in not bad shape. It needed a lot of stuff. It was very stock. Mm -hmm. Is it a synchro or four-wheel or two-wheel drive? Two-wheel drive. Two-wheel okay. drive. Yeah. Um, and then and then we, well, Keely hates when I talk numbers, so I won't talk numbers. You don't have to. We got we got it for a pretty reasonable price at the time when I bought it. I, you know, I brought it in to get it checked out, and then all of a sudden the guy at the shop told me that oh there was like six thousand dollars worth of repairs just to make it safe to drive, not any improvements. You the know? import so, costs and stuff you have to do certain no, things no, to import. No, just like fixing oh. brakes and you know making it safe to drive. 
So the guy who was selling it, who was asking, you know, his number, I just told him, I said, the good news, I got good news and bad news. The bad news is your band needs six grand just to make it safe for me to take it back to Whistler. The good news is I'm still interested. We just got to find, you know, and I told him, I said, I don't expect you to cover that. Let's meet part way. And so we, sure. we made a deal. My, my VW mechanic told me that at the time it was the best deal that went down in BC for that year. Wow. Great. So we did pretty good. And then, uh, we, and then, you know, with what I saved and I had budgeted, we, we basically took care of all those deficiencies and have since been fixing and fixing. And then the motor died and then the transmission died and then the transmission died again. And then I'm probably $80,000 now into this like vintage Volkswagen van, but that thing is badass and it is, it's so much fun. And then even like right now, you know, we're trying to make this real estate deal uh, on our property on, on Gavi. We're trying to buy out our partner and he's like, Oh, maybe we should sell a van. I'm like, I, I, I just can't. Yeah. It's right where I want it. You know, it's, it's like this summer, I even like in the spring, we exploded our, our uh, transmission. So the whole summer we were without the van getting the transmission sorted out. It's back on the road now. And it's, it's like, I, I can't sell it now. It's, it's, it's good to go. Yeah. Oh, and normally we would go away. So normally we go away every fall. We pack up our camp in September and by October 1st, which is my birthday, we're on the road and we like to head south into California and then, you know, and or wherever, follow the heat and extend our summer. And this year with the restrictions and the border closure, we're not going anywhere. So the vans have a little bit on, on hold right now. But, right. uh, yeah, no, it's the Vanagon Diaries on Instagram is the, where to call it, the Vanagon Diaries. Okay. And then cool. you can sort of follow along with, it's, it's kind of like VW nerd image, uh, yeah. VW's, VW lovers are nerds, man. My, I've had VWs for a long time. My brother's, uh, bought it. We bought a Volkswagen 64 Super Beetle, the first year Super Beetle. We bought it in Florida in florida when my brother was uh 16 or yeah and i was 13 we towed it back on a u-haul my parents with this wagon we had he still has it He's oh does it he? fucking caught on fire last year he's driving just that uh, yeah it's, it's got a bit of work to do but i think oh, it i was gonna say it's worth something 64 oh yeah. yeah well you got to hold it in reverse to go reverse is that over window no that- no Oh, it's, uh, it's, well, in the back, it's it's round. It's not, yeah, it's not the old school. Like, it's not the split window or anything at all, but it's, a, not, it's like the... There, well, there was split window, then there was oval window. Like, there's these little things mm-hmm. that when you know, you know. Like, there are all these little things that take you... Because that's far yeah. enough back. All of a sudden, it's worth a whole lot more because it's that other generation. Yeah, I don't really know the, too much of the intricacies about it, but I do know it caught on fire, and he ran up... It's a pretty funny story, so I tell you a story this time. He, uh, he, uh, he... I guess he had gone last summer. It's not even my story. It just makes me laugh because he loves this thing, right? I'm like, it's been in the garage. He never drives it. I'm like, it's, but it's pretty sick. Um, he was driving it through Squamish a little while ago, and I guess the engine caught on fire, and he could see him with the back. So we stopped and pulled over and had to run to some guy's house, and he grabbed this hose and ran with it and then ripped the hose off the guy's house because it didn't fit. Like, oh, no. So there was no water at the hose. Yeah, he was like cupping water to his fucking vehicle to turn it off. Anyway, oh. he got it fixed. It was a bit of a burn mark on the back, but he had a Westphalia 2 in Ontario. Um, and uh, he wanted to keep it, but I mean, he t- he sold it, and it was just so many offers, you know, old vehicles. I think it was a two-wheel drive one. It was pretty stock, um, but 
just the value. And if you're a VW nerd, you know, you're just like, you're into it. And people, and those things go for a ton of money. Like even just regular conversion vans, I'm blown away. It's like 1991 Ford Econoline, you know, the van itself. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That well, goes, that's what we were looking ball. at at first. We were looking, we were looking at a, a four, we were trying to get a four-wheel drive Ford Econoline at first. Yeah, that's then what we I was, found out you you can't find them in BC. They're they're, all, they're, they're full unicorns because there's so many restrictions when they come across the border. And then we got into the Volkswagen thing. Yeah, because there's that. You there's know that. What, what it comes down to too, you got to realize like those are antiques now, right? Like you want to buy like an antique Porsche or an antique whatever, like say any kind of cars that are like collectors plate worthy on. They cost money now, all of a sudden. An old MG or a Triumph or yeah. all these cars that I would love to have, you know. Um, they cost money, and so are the, the vans. But, but the thing that's different, like, because I remember when I, in, I first came into Whistler in 86. And then I, I think the following year, in 87, I went back to Quebec because I was a river guide. And I had a good job back there, which I didn't have in the summer in Whistler. So I went back. I was a senior river guide. And then I bought a 72 Volkswagen Westphalia. And I drove that out west. And I drove it for a bunch of years. But then I eventually sold it because so many things broke down on it. And I just I was a young kid. And I couldn't keep up. But everything's changed now. Like There's so much aftermarket stuff that you can really dial these vehicles in and make them turn them into modern you know, like our van is lifted, like modern. I got Fox shocks on our van. You know, like like there's so many things, and I I can go so many places. It's crazy what we what we can do with it. You know. It's, yeah, that yeah. whole scene, like that whole like builder scene of those Volkswagen has become industry in itself. Just like those aftermarket parts, and you see, you know, like the the if you can get the most recent synchro, you know, four wheel drive one, those things go for like. If it's done, it's like a hundred grand. It's crazy what they go for oh. all done up stuff. Like e even more for sure. Yeah, yeah. Easy. Stock, easy. You know, get a, easy. Like a stock yeah. one that's got the four-wheel drive sinker with the camper inside. It's like a eighty grand, I would guess. Yeah. I don't know if it's in good yeah. shape. But yeah. then yeah. like um they're popular. So you now you can't find them. Everyone's got a fucking sprinter now. Sprinters are like, I don't know, it's just kind of super they're cool, but uh there's other they're ones nice, coming along. But they're 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 bread they're they're I don't know. There's just not enough character yet. You know, no like, one's dirtbagging in a sprinter, man. <laughs> the thing is that, you know, like the van, you know, we go to this event, like there's a bunch of events. We don't go to all of them, but there's one event that I've been to where it was a real eye-opener. We go to Descend on Bend, in, down by Bend, Oregon. Okay. Been there, like, uh, not this year because of COVID, but the last couple of summers prior. You go down there, <clears throat> you show up, there's like 600 VW vans. Yeah, you know, there's not two the same. Every right. single one is custom different. Right. The people are all super rad, and then you go around and you're checking out, like, oh, what do you got? Like, and you figure out all these little customizations that you can do for your own rig, and and you know, like, it's a total scene. It's quite. I think something. people pride it's themselves on the difference that's the thing they they, they want to customize like, yeah i might a little bit different why why did this oh you did that and like it's just like yeah. people want to be like they're stoked to showcase their little differences well, and then they're happy to share there's no secrets yeah. oh yeah, you no. know what i did this it's super badass you should try this or that yeah. or whatever this is where i got the parts and whatnot but yeah like we didn't realize that when we bought that van 
we suddenly became part of a community. A whole new world. And then and you're instantly loved. You go there and people instantly embrace you and are happy to share on where you're from, what do you do, and oh, let's check out your van and all this kind of stuff. It's kind of fun. It's a bit geeky, but it's it's definitely fun. And vehicles have that same vehicles seem to have that kind of nostalgia thing where there are like my dad had a Miata, which sounds like lame, but he was in a Miata club. People just love fucking Miatas, right? Yeah, or like, yeah. you know, no one's got like a Oldsmobile wagon club. I mean, maybe they do. It's not too old, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, there's one on Gab here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but no, it's cool. Well, like, and it, it's, it's community too, right? That's a big. We're coming back to that too. It's like community. It's like you talk about the community you have on Gambier, but like, go to those things. You meet people that are just like kind of the same. It's not the same as you, but they get it. They're like, we're doing the same thing. You it's know, it's just an excuse to kind of get you know, hang out and yeah. talk about stuff and. You know, first you talk about your vehicle. Next, you know, you talk about the same things you would talk if you were in a different club. You know, like oh, like what what what's that beer you're drinking? I'll have another. Sure. Yeah. You know, that's beer from the guy on the street. Yeah. What's on the barbecue? Oh, you know, is that you know whatever? Oh yeah, you're you're a barbecue guy, right? Do you, what do you, <laughs> are you a smoker? You use Traeger grill. What do you what do you grill on, man? What's your are you like pellets? Are you like um, bullet grill? Well, it's been evolving, but yeah, you know, it started with. Mike Varon, you know Mike Varon. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He's the barbecue guy too. He's big into He's it. The barbecue guy, and and in a while, uh, like a bunch of years ago, he got a barbecue from a mutual friend of ours, Al Landy. Gave him this Weber Performer. It's right. like a kettle barbecue that's propane assist. And and Varon calls me, and he's all like, "Oh, or whatever." We're talking. He's all like, "Yeah, I'm in the club." I'm like, "What club?" Uh, with the train, the, the Weber Club, the perform no, the Performer Club. I'm like, what the hell is that? He goes, well, Landy gave me his performer. I'm now I'm a part of the because YP, you know YP, yeah, for sure. YP, uh, Peter Young and Whistler had one, and Landy had one, and now Varen had one. I was like, well, how do I get? It? I want to be in the club. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, everybody wants to be in the club. Bernard's in that club too. So he's like. What do I do? He goes, well, you got to get yourself a performer. So right away, I was I called Home Depot in Squamish. It was the end of the season. I call, I go down there. I see, I meet the manager. I'm like, you got to sharpen your pencil. He goes, what are you talking about? He goes, they're gonna work you for a deal, you know. Anyways, long story short, I bought this before this Weber performer gas assisted charcoal barbecue, mm. and I was in the club. Nice. And then, you know, fast forward, and then a whole bunch of us became. Came in the club. Uh, Doug McFarlane, you probably know. He's the yeah, operations yeah. manager for Whistler Blackcomb. Brian Layton used to be the head of patrol for Whistler Blackcomb, or for Whistler Mountain, and he was head of safety for Whistler Blackcomb. There's a bunch of us that are in this Weber performer club. Then I find out a buddy of mine, Luke Edgar, used to be a head marketing guy for K2 Snowboards when I used to shoot for. You snowboards, and we're still in touch. And I'm in touch with him. And I'm like, oh hey, you know, Luke, what's what's going on? What are you up to these days? Oh, I'm I'm at VP of sales of Traeger Grills. I'm like, what's that? He goes, Oh, we're like these wood pellet grills. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, of course, right away I'm all excited. Barbecue. I'm like, oh dude, I'm in a I'm in a barbecue club in Whistler. And he's like, Well, you're I gotta hook you up, you know. So he sends me this like Next thing you know, I got this huge pallet shows up on my place, cool. this massive grill, all these pellets and stuff. So they're these like s smokers, like the pellet smoker. You can get up to high heat to sear, but you can also do, 
the nice thing is you could do super low heat and oh, slow. Yeah. And, you know, with the Weber, you've got to be there finicking with the airflow all the time to maintain that temp. Whereas with the Webers, you don't. You set it and you forget it. And then now it's even got, like, it's gotten so crazy. Like, the, the, the barbecues now work with an app. You can yeah, walk the temperature. You can adjust the temperature. I can be out checking prawns and adjust the temperature for my brisket up at the tiki bar. That's Put the phone. Like, it's crazy. And then when I get there and I serve it, it's got this, like, you know, beautiful smoke flavored. And then I'm doing, so then these guys have been, like, Trigger, who's, like, really been proactive with their marketing. They're, like, you know, so they're sponsoring all these pit masses, but they're sponsoring uh, mixologists. And the guys are coming up with recipes with, like, these smoked ingredients for cocktails. And then they put out a book. So now I'm doing, like, mix. You know, you know, smoked, you know, agave simple syrup for margaritas and smoking my salt and smoking my ice cubes and smoking my fruit juice and grilling my fruit. Awesome. And all these kind of like fun in the summer, we're doing all these like fun grilled cocktails as part of the tiki experience. It's so much fun. Yeah, I like That's that. Sick. I mean, they have, uh, um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen this. I, I watch a lot of shows i mean i watch like like a lot of youtube stuff and cooking i will follow a couple of guys on on youtube and there's this guy who smokes a watermelon cuts it in half and smokes it in water and people are smoking cheese they put on a brick of ice and put the cheese in there and smoke cheese yeah um yeah i mean i, I live in an apartment so i can't do that but my neighbor won one he won a uh, like a uh broil king i guess just like a like a bullet one yeah he's like i don't want to use it i'm like dude you should just try it he's like i don't know it's a lot of work i'm like let me try it i'll borrow it yeah. But there's a dude who lives in my apartment. He lives on the first floor, and he's got one that's on just out in his back back deck there. And yeah. every time I see smoke by the window, I'm like, "Hey, man, dunk, dunk. I'm like, "What's going yeah, on? Yeah, what's going on? I got some beers. Yeah, let's talk. Let's talk yeah, I bring that little, little baggie of weed. I'm like, "Hey, you want to trade and stuff there?" But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's good. It's so well, much fun, man. It's yeah. so much fun, and yeah. it's 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 evolved so much that mm. now like there's all these elements that you can do like we're doing desserts we're doing cocktails i mean it's not just smoking you know meats right. and stuff but all sorts of different there's tons things. of stuff you can do you probably tan leather in there i'm sure if you wanted to you smoke leather. but yeah i think there's like it's a, it's, it is a, it's a big scene like there's obviously we have the barbecue champs and whistler and stuff i don't go too often but um barbecue bob in town here he's he owns a wildwood now yeah and uh he makes these like brisket uh, bennies oh Dude. nice Jeez, really? Yeah, I haven't had that. It's out of control. So, um, yeah, he, his, his, I mean, he's been doing. He's, he's won. You know, he's been down to Tennessee. The Jack Daniels stuff. He's done really well for. Yeah, yeah. His restaurant was good when he had it for sure. It was a a a bit of a battle against the the Dusties. It was too close, but yeah. yeah, But he now he owns a Wildwood, and he does like I think he does still catering still under Barbecue Bob. Um, Wildwood where the tennis club was. No, the Wildwood there is gone now. There's only one in function. The one from the the one from the oh, vill- down by the cul-de-sac there. Yeah, yeah, by the flower that, shop there and stuff. That's been oh, but the so one. I'm from- just trying to figure out where we're gonna get this Benny, this brisket. Benny. Yeah, dude, it's only like I think he 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 does his briskets every Thursday night. So Fridays are the days when you got to go in there. Uh, okay, uh, yeah, yeah. When I go there, he's like, intel. That's good he intel. sees me. He's like, hey, Proctor, I'll always go in there. He's like, put a little bit on the side of my plate. I'll order like something else. He's like, yeah. like, oh yeah, it's so good, dude. But he doesn't have the he, the wildwood in, in the tennis courts is gone and it moved into the village and now it's gone too. So it's just the one in, in, in function junction. You know, I got a funny story about the 
barbecue championships. So Varen runs the barbecue championships out of yeah. Dusty's every yeah. year. And a bunch of years ago, I mean, it was two, probably 2008. Mm. Um, and I invited Varen in August because we have an August long weekend thing at Gambier, you know, with live music and everything. It's called right. Commotion on the Ocean. <laughs> and I invited Varen and a bunch of other friends to come. And Varen couldn't come because right. he was hosting the, the championships. Right. And I'm like, oh, well, whatever, dude. We'll have our own barbecue championships at Gambier. So I had a buddy of mine, Brian Reed, uh, and a couple of other buddies. And we did a barbecue weekend. I probably had about 16 guests over for the weekend. And what we did is that for a whole weekend, starting on Friday afternoon, every meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner had to have a barbecue component for three days. You cardiologist over there with you guys. So... You know, and then I didn't, you know, I didn't have a tiki bar at the time. So we had the barbecue pits. And then on, on the Saturday night was the live music event, the commotion on the ocean. So, you know, we supported the barbecue pit there and, you know, ordered the burgers from the barbecue thing or whatever. And the Sunday night was our, because it was a long weekend. And Monday, I think, was the day off. Sunday night was our big barbecue extravaganza. So I think I had like eight barbecues going. Okay. For everything for the whole dinner was on the barbecue. You know, I could... It's the veg. We had chicken and ribs, the veg, and all this kind of stuff. But I had all these barbecues, and then people were coming around and lifting lids and, sh and shit. And I'm like, so next thing you know, we had to put, like, some security tape. I had to have a security guy to keep people from lifting lids. People and love then we could do stuff like people could come, and uh, they could donate, and then have their photo taken with the pitmasters by the grill. <laughs> <laughs> but after that whole weekend, because of how chaotic it was, I went like, okay, I got to build a contained environment to sure. run this show. And that's, that was the birth of the Tiki Bar. And we built, nice. a tiki, I built a Tiki Bar in 2009, yeah. the next year, started with this like outdoor kitchen thing. And that's what's been the evolution. There. I think I saw some photos early on. Yeah. And this one you sent me looks pretty, looks pretty sweet, man. It's a good setup. Um, I'm pretty stoked right now, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got fired up when I went to barbecue. I just saw you like got close to the computer, started talking more. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got super psyched on it. It made me laugh. I love it. I love That's it. Good. Hey, listen, so uh, it's been like an hour and 20 minutes or so, hour and 15 minutes or so. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you got, I think um, it's usually around the time I try to like, you know, wrap it up, but it's been awesome talking. I don't know. I mean, I, I would love to keep talking, but if there's anything else you've got to cover, something you want to get out, but uh yeah, no, I think um, we got to do it in person sometime for sure when we get a chance. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. I'd love to. Yeah, but, and, uh, and maybe at the Tiki Bar. Dude, bring I'd be your, super pumped. Bring your mobile setup. Yeah, I will for sure. Yeah, we'll get it going. Yeah, I'd That's love to. Summer thing. Because now we're kind of shut down now. It's, it's, yeah. it's definitely cold and damp here, but summertime is full swings. And, you right. know, hopefully by the summer, things will have calmed down with what's going on. So, yeah, yeah we'd love to do, you know, round two boat over we could and maybe if, even if, if you guys get this thing going we could do like a podcast help you guys promote that too if i ever get any listeners but um yeah no it'd be cool for sure I'd, dude i'd be stoked to come over there. i've heard about it a bunch um and uh, i've always seen photo stuff and it's uh it'd be good You're to have always welcome yeah for sure okay cool um yeah, we go back yeah we go. be good so um if, if people want to follow eric you can follow him on instagram just eric burger right Is eric burger eric burger photo eric burger photo yep guys got i got three instagram accounts you got the van one. What's that one? So there's Eric Berger photo. Yeah. There's the Vanagon Diaries. Yeah. And we just started a new one for the Gambier property. It's called right. 
Whispering Creek Retreat. Okay, cool. Okay. So we have water. We have a creek going through our property called Whispering Creek. So we Whispering Creek Retreat. Okay. I'll, you, I'll, uh, I'll text you. You can send me the, just make sure I spell it right and everything. I can spell, but like make sure I get it right. And I'll yeah. put them up on the screen if I can get my technology dialed. Uh, they'll be in the links for sure of the, of the podcast. Um, just gives okay. people a chance to have another uh, stream of like, you know, the content's going to be good, right? Yeah, right. Sure. I'll give you something more to scroll past. The guy who runs it knows how to take a photo. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if there are any dog photos, I'm going to call you on Yeah, and it's like a lot of good... In the summer, when things are fully happening, there's a lot of good barbecue content. Nice. All right, cool. Well, yeah, man, I I really appreciate talking. It's great. I'm glad we got to connect. Um, I think you got a cool thing going there. Um, I like talking talking shit with you. So, uh, you guys do it again for sure in person right away. Um, I'm just going to hang up and then, or I'll just stop the recording and we can chat quickly before we do that. But, uh, yeah, again, Eric, thanks for coming on. And uh, if you guys are listening, thanks for listening. And, um, yeah, check out Eric's stuff online. It's good shit. My pleasure, man. Yeah, buddy. I'm going to try to, if I stop recording, it might hang up. I apologize.